Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. Our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and I'll look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith. I want to thank you for joining me today. Well, hey there, folks. I'm back in the captain's chair this week after taking some much-needed time to go camping with the family. I had the esteemed pleasure of tent camping next to one of my favorite rivers here in Missouri last week, the Niangua, a stream-fed river that's home to stock trout, crayfish, and all other manner of freshwater life. It truly was a refreshing way to pass the week. Missouri remains a beautiful state, folks, an environment worth protecting. And it's just one of the many reasons I enjoy what I do here every week. A $24 billion Michigan budget for schools. Michigan lawmakers passed a $82 billion fiscal year 2024 budget Wednesday with $24.3 billion of those funds dedicated to the state's school budget. Several educators turned lawmakers are expressing their appreciation for getting certain components of the budget funding in order to support students as they continue their education after COVID-era interruptions and support teachers as the state faces a shortage of educators. A former teacher, now Democratic Senator Darren Camilleri, spoke highly of the budget allotment, saying, We are creating a budget that is going to change the lives of so many students. They may not see that impact today. They may not see it tomorrow. But one day they may be standing in the boardroom, in the classroom, or right here in the Senate chamber, thinking about the impact that someone else made decades prior that gave them that chance and gave them that opportunity to live the life that they want. Many progressive measures are included in the budget, like universal school meals. This carve-out at only $160 million of that budget addresses the areas of greatest need in the state, states another former teacher, Senator Dana Polhanke, who goes on to say, We are ensuring that all kids have the food that they need to thrive and the supports that they need to succeed, and that their schools have the funding necessary to address all student needs. There's also a focus on retaining teachers, allocating one-time funding to providing a maximum of $400 a month to public school employees that work directly with students and for individuals in the process of becoming teachers. $25 million would be dedicated to fellowships to offset the cost of going to college, and $50 million would be used for stipends while student teaching. There's also funding for two years' worth of grants to improve early literacy in districts with students in grades pre-K to fifth grade. The legislature has set aside nearly $1 billion to dispense to districts with disadvantaged students. In order to address mental health within schools, the legislature included $328 million for schools across the state to fund activities to improve mental health. Also, $6 million is to be used to adopt tools to identify concerning behaviors early on and prevent possible abuse or violence in schools. And lastly, in a move applauded by the Environmental Law and Policy Center, school districts would be able to ask for grants to fund contracting clean energy buses and other vehicles, as well as cover the expenses of other infrastructure to encourage the limitation of greenhouse gases like building electric vehicle charging stations with funding included in the budget. And speaking of renewables, batteries and renewables are saving the day in Texas during the heat wave. 
Texas, along with much of the South, has been subject to a relentless, prolonged heat wave for several weeks, the kind of climate-fueled extreme weather event that scientists have warned us will happen with increasing frequency. This particular event is so extreme that Texas has been hotter than 99% of the Earth. But unlike during winter storm Uri that blanketed Texas with ice and blackouts in 2021, the state's grid has held up so far under the immense strain of powering millions of air conditioners cranked up to their highest power, driving peak demand to an all-time high of nearly 81,000 megawatts, easily surpassing the 69,000 megawatt peak demand during the winter storm. So what's the difference from 2021? How has the grid managed to function with more demand being placed on it than ever? Well, it's all thanks to the rapid additions of solar, wind, and grid-scale battery storage in the last two years. Texas has added almost 3,000 megawatts of wind since winter storm Uri, and utility-scale solar in the state has doubled every year since 2020, with nearly 10,000 megawatts of new solar added since 2020. And here is the amazing statistic that few people know. Texas accounted for nearly 70% of grid battery additions in the United States in the first three months of 2023, resulting in a total capacity of 3,300 megawatts, almost all of which have come online since early 2021. In fact, Texas passed California last year in total installed solar and almost kept pace with California when it comes to new grid battery installations. This all tallies with what energy system researchers have been saying for years. A combination of wind, solar, and battery storage are often more reliable than fossil fuel generation to handle periods of extremely high demand, especially if these peaks occur for short durations during a day. The heat wave makes recent efforts by the Texas legislature to punish renewables in the name of politics even more harmful. To score petty political points, they are exposing Texans to a more unreliable grid while worsening the climate problem that's subjecting their state to extreme events in the first place. And to top this off, creating a reliable Texas grid with renewables, storage, and efficiency will actually result in cheaper electricity rates for Texans. Recent energy innovation modeling found that tapping available federal clean energy tax credits from the Inflation Reduction Act would cut annual statewide energy expenditures a cumulative $21 billion through 2050, while increasing Texas's GDP by $15 billion in 2030. So what's not to like about a reliable, resilient grid that someone will pay you to take? It's not too late for Texas policymakers to redirect their energy to aid Texans. They can make it easier to build renewables and storage by streamlining the clean energy interconnection process, facilitating transmission buildup, pushing for greater regional grid coordination, and dedicating funding for public utility commissions and state agencies to maximize Inflation Reduction Act funding, among other initiatives. At the same time, policymakers should institute measures that encourage energy efficiency and demand response. Their citizens will thank them for making their lives better and helping them adapt to climate change. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talkin' Politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts on most Tuesdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports like The Delta with Nicholas and Christina Linke, and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. On Thursdays, tune in for Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper. And as always, you can find Flyover View right here on Fridays with me, Kevin Smith. 
Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lighting round. Lightning round. In Missouri, Medicaid recipients in Missouri are now at risk of losing their health insurance coverage for the first time in three years. During the height of the coronavirus pandemic, the federal government issued emergency protections that barred states from removing people from the government-funded health insurance program for low-income people and families. That changes this month. State workers from the Department of Social Services have been redetermining people's eligibility. But now, Medicaid recipients could lose their coverage because they make too much money or did not fill out paperwork. State officials and health insurance advocates are concerned that some people could lose their coverage simply because they didn't know they needed to reapply this year, did not open the mail that reminded them to send information to the state, or incorrectly filled out some forms. Some good news for those disenrolled from Medicaid by state officials, though. They can still get coverage through the healthcare.gov marketplace. If they lose coverage during the state's Medicaid re-enrollment process, they will be eligible for a special enrollment period for the marketplace that won't need to wait for the annual open insurance enrollment window. Also on the healthcare front in Missouri, within the coming weeks, Missouri healthcare providers will be able to track a patient's prescriptions with the goal of preventing overdoses and opioid abuse. Missouri is the last state in the nation to create a statewide prescription drug monitoring program. Roughly 75 counties already have a database in place, but following a law passed in 2021, all providers will be required to submit patient information or be penalized. Governor Mike Parson signed the bill into law in June of 2021. The bipartisan legislation did receive some pushback for years, though, with some concerned, in true Missouri fashion, that it would affect their ability to own a firearm. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's brilliant. No! It's just dumb! and the privacy concerns when it comes to companies collecting medical information. Overseen by a task force of licensed healthcare professionals, Missouri's new prescription drug monitoring program, titled PDMP, will allow physicians and pharmacists to track a patient's prescriptions. In Arkansas, a small group of protesters gathered at the Arkansas State Capitol Monday morning to draw attention to how raises are being handled for state employees. State employees are graded on a 1-5 to scale for merit raises. Protesters said in past years those graded in a Category 3 or a Satisfactory category could expect to see an increase in paycheck. However, some state employees said that they learned that the cost of living increase and merit increase was vetoed for anyone who received a grade less than 4. This year, when the raises were to be put out, we were told the night before that the cost of living increase as well as the merit increase were vetoed, other than the fours and fives, says state employee Tammy Hartz. In a June 9th memo, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders said state employees who have served for more than one year and were deemed highly effective will receive a 4.5% base salary increase. She also said the employees who were deemed role models will increase a 5% base salary increase. Speaking of Governor Sanders, on Monday, she named state Republican Party chairman and former federal prosecutor Cody Hilland to the Arkansas Supreme Court, giving it a conservative majority as justices prepare to take up a challenge to her education overhaul. The appointment pushes further to the right, a court that's been the focus of expensive and heated races in recent years. Arkansas's Supreme Court seats are nonpartisan, but conservative groups have spent heavily over the years trying to flip control of the seven-member court. Not even hiding her intent, Sanders states, This is the first time the Arkansas Supreme Court will have a conservative majority, and I know it will have the same effect on our state 
as it has had on our country. So essentially, a shaky faith in its function. In Ohio, groups hoping to enshrine abortion rights in Ohio's constitution delivered nearly double the number of signatures needed to place an amendment on the fall statewide ballot, aiming to signal sweeping widespread support for an issue that still faces the threat of needing a significantly increased victory margin. A ruling has allowed an August special election to proceed that will seek to raise the threshold for passing future amendments, including as soon as November, from a 50% plus one simple majority that has been in place since 1912 to a 60% majority. Abortion rights amendments in other states have tended to pass with more than a 55%, but less than a 60% of the vote. So proponents of women's health care rights will definitely need all the support they can muster. And lastly, Senator Josh Hollenasshole is coming under fire for a 4th of July tweet that managed to include both a false claim and a false quote at the same time. Hawley tweeted a quote he claimed to be from the founding father, Patrick Henry, saying that the United States was founded, quote, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's just one problem. Henry, a slave owner, perhaps best remembered for his give me liberty or give me death quote, never said it. The United States was also not founded as a Christian nation. The First Amendment makes that clear, and Henry, while deeply religious, didn't say anything of the sort, nor did any of the Founding Fathers, for that matter. Well, folks, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story that I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at KevInMidmo or the Pod's parent account at the Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from the Associated Press, KARK Arkansas, Fox News, St. Louis Public Radio, Forbes, and Michigan Advance. Thanks for listening. The Flyover Review is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all next week.